Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for King David and his long life. And we pray that as we come to look at your word tonight, you would speak to each one of us by your Holy Spirit, that we might proclaim your greatness and your honour and serve you throughout the rest of the week. Amen. Uh, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, we're in a series concerning David's life. And uh, one of the great things about these historical uh, figures in the Old Testament is that you can often see uh, progress through their lives. You can see their relations with God and how they develop. You can see the ups and downs of their lives. Now, as a teacher, one of the interesting parts of my job was attending parents' evenings. Two extremes come to mind. The first one is this. The parent or parents come down and they sit in front of you and you tell them how excellent their daughter or son is, how they are excellent students, how they're progressing well, and uh, they have a very positive attitude towards education, and all being well, they should do very well in their examinations. Now, as you're saying that, I can almost guarantee that the parents in front of you, their faces will uh, relax, and they will smile, and they will be extremely thankful. Now, of course, there is the other extreme. Parents come in again, sit down, but uh, you have to tell them, oh, I was a sorry, but your son or daughter is poorly motivated, uh, is disruptive, do- is lazy, doesn't behave themselves in class. And as you're saying that, you often see the faces of the parents sort of collapse, and uh, they, um, they are sorrowful, and they show despair and great sadness. And sometimes, of course, we see the same in Christian families. If the children who have been brought up to love God uh, later on as they mature reject Jesus and go their own ways. Children can bring great joy to families, but they can also bring worry and disappointment. And I think we see this in this book of Samuel concerning King David and his children. We see the ups and downs of David's life. Now, it's easy, isn't it? We can praise God in the high points of life, but it's a lot harder to see God in the detail of the low points. And this is one of the low points that we have in front of us this morning. Now, sorry, this evening. I'll get it right in a minute. Um, Now, I've put up on the screen for you a line that is representative of David's life. I don't know whether you can read it or not, but the high points are indicated there and the low points as well. So, the high points being when he was anointed king, the the killing of Goliath, God making a special covenant with him, and uh, God giving him promises. God said this to him through the prophet Nathan. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. 
I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut you off for your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Now that must have been a real high point in David's life. And it should have been an encouragement to him, because God is in control. And in contrast, we have the low points of David's life. Last week, Alan brought to us the danger and nature of sin and how it affected David and all of us. And we saw this as the way that David treated the Uriah the Hittite, if you were with us last week, and the murder and uh, his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Well, this week, we've got another low point, his son Absalom's rebellion. Now, This passage we've got in front of us is just a short part of the much bigger story that extends from chapters 13 right through to chapter 18. So I thought that as we come to consider, we perhaps need to have a quick review of what actually was going on. Now, we see that David was a man blessed by God, but he was also human, and he had human weaknesses, and he conformed to his time and culture. And so he takes many concubines and wives, as did other kings of the time. And he takes Bathsheba as well. And as a result of these actions, many children are born, sons and daughters of different wives, which results in half-brothers and sisters. And David is not seen as the best parent because he overindulges some of the children and fails to bring them to justice for their actions but he still is God's chosen man. So how then did this rebellion of Absalom come about? Well, we read in chapter 13 that David's son Ammon fell in love with Tamar, that's David's daughter, and a beautiful sister of Absalom. And this event concerned incest and rape, and because Ammon became so infatuated with Tamar, he ends up by raping her and then discarding her. Tamar goes to the house of Absalom, her brother, who offers support and protection. Now, what's King David do? Well, he's furious with what his son has done, but does nothing to provide justice for Tamar and the family. However, as a result of Amon's actions, Absalom develops a hatred for his brother, for what he's done to his sister. And this hatred, as hatred does, leads to action. So after two years, Absalom holds a feast for his brother and instructs his men to kill Amon to revenge the rape of his sister. So what does David do? Well, David mourns the death of his son, Amon, and Absalom flees from his presence in Jerusalem and goes to Geshur for three years. Now, Joab, who's David's advisor, eventually persuades the king to let Absalom return to Jerusalem But the king wouldn't meet him, so he was restricted to live in his own house and not visit the palace. We read in chapter 14 that Absalom was a very handsome man. He had lovely, fair, long hair. He had three sons and a beautiful daughter. And he was well thought of. And he lived in Jerusalem for two years without seeing his father David. However... Absalom then goes to Joab to get the king to request that he could visit the court and he finally goes to the court as the king agrees to this. 
And so as this happens, Absalom starts to seek the favor of David's people and to undermine the authority of the king. And so we read in the beginning of chapter 15 how he does this. He puts on a show, a royal activity, with chariots and horses and 50 men in a convoy going to the entrance of the palace in the early morning. And here he meets the Israelites who come to seek justice from the king and offers himself as a judge. And there's an inference here Then perhaps David the king wasn't providing justice for these people. And so we read in verse 6, he, Absalom, stole the hearts of the people by acting as a judge instead of the king. And he did this for four years, building up the support of many people. So this is the background to this rebellion that we have in our account this evening. And as we read it, we do need to remember that God has made promises to David and God is still in control. So then, what does Absalom do and what does King David do? Well, if you look at verse 7, you'll see that Absalom uses religious actions to get his own way. He uses his promise that he made to God to carry out his plan of rebellion. He uses good whilst doing bad. Now, reading the Bible, we know that Satan seeks to deceive people in attempts to undermine their relationship with God. And we see this here with these actions of Absalom, who sought to worship God while gaining the support for his action of rebelling against the God's king, and presumably killing David as well. Absalom goes to Hebron, an area where there would have been less support for David and where his support grows, even including David's counsellors who go across to Absalom. Now, this rebellion was a popular event. If you look in verse 12, the numbers of men who joined Absalom kept growing. And so it's difficult, isn't it, to see how is God at work through these actions? Well, in Actions Rebellion, we see his attempt to change the direction of the people of God to his own ends. And it raises two questions in, um, in my mind. Who is going to be the successor to David to be the ruler, whereas God has actually promised David's offspring, his descendants would follow? And who is it, in the last resort, that's shaping history? What role does God have in all of this? And has Absalom taken over the role of God? Well, there's no indication in scriptures that Absalom's actions are those intended by God, despite the fact that David has not lived by God's ways and behaved in ways that are below his expectation. We see, though, that God's plan of salvation does continue, though. Because if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, where we read of the genealogy of Jesus, God's son uh, and of, of God's son. There is David and his son Solomon about a third of the way down in the list of names in that, ge in that genealogy. God can clearly work out his plan of salvation despite man's efforts to go on his own way, despite Absalom's attempts to overthrow God's king. God is still at work 
And that, I think, is a real positive that we can take from this passage. But it doesn't actually, this action of absence, plotting and rebellion, doesn't actually show God in action, but rather the action of a spoilt child who can't wait for the natural events of life and death to happen. Because we know that David will eventually die, as anyone would do so. We read later in chapter 18, the result of Absalom's actions, he dies prematurely in the battle between his forces and David's. A sad outcome for one of David's sons, a man who couldn't wait, who wanted the power and the glory for himself, a man who didn't accept his own wrongdoing and repent of his sins, a man who was totally engrossed with self. And that should be a warning for each one of us. But what about David's actions in all of this? And what about David's character? Well, it wouldn't be surprising, would it, if David is depressed, scared and down as a result of what has happened. He's lost a son, Amor, murdered by his other son. His daughter is in disgrace and the family is hardly united. It's what today many people would call a dysfunctional family. But David, however, shows his greatness on this day of misfortune when his son rebels. He humbly bows himself under the bitter blow and leaves the future to God without neglecting to take what steps he can to protect Jerusalem and his people. And this is why he flees from Jerusalem. He wants to escape the death trap of the city and prevent innocent people being killed by Absalom's forces. However, we know that David is an experienced fighter. He's a schemer, a person who had experienced many ups and downs of life. And so we read in verse 13, right through to the end of the chapter, David's response. And if you look at it, you will see He's a man who doesn't panic. No, he doesn't panic. He takes time to speak to people. He is generous to Atiyah, the Gittite. He offers him a way out, but also accepts their help. He uses wisdom and cunning in his response to this rebellion by sending his friend Hushai into Jerusalem as a spy. But I think we also see the natural emotion of a father because we see the sadness in David's actions look in verse 30 he continues his journey up the Mount of Olives weeping barefoot and with a covered head a sign of penitence and sorrow David weeps because his son Absalom turns against him David weeps because one of his closest friends and advisers has deserted him to go to Absalom. And he weeps finally because he knew that those who remained loyal to him would face difficult and dangerous days ahead when many would be killed. So what's his response in this situation? Well, his response is to pray to God. This time for God to act to God to act to change the counsel of, now I can't say this word, this man's name, but it's there in the passage in any case. And he is a counsellor, 
And he prays to God that he will change his counsel into foolishness. And as we see this action of David, I think we should acknowledge it's not wrong to weep when we see the results of mankind's sin and destruction. Hundreds of years later, Jesus would ride down the same Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, weeping for the city, weeping for those who still rejected him and failed to understand the offer of peace that he brought. Jesus knew of the fickleness of people, how those that welcomed him would turn against him, how that close friend would betray him to the authorities. Jesus lamented because the city that he loved would be destroyed and his own people had failed to recognise that God himself had come to dwell with them. Well, David is a great example, isn't it, for us to follow. A man after God who suffered greatly. A man who was human with weaknesses like us. But unlike Absalom, David is wise. He admits his wrongdoing. He repents before God and seeks God's forgiveness. And we can read of that in many of the Psalms, which are cries to God by David because of his sinful actions. And as followers of Jesus, we are given the opportunity to confess our sins and accept forgiveness, to seek the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to give us wisdom if we ask for it. We are given promises of of God found in the Bible, which we can use and remind ourselves of when life gets tough. Because as Jesus' followers, we live at odds with the world around us. We can't be sure what the world will throw at us. Standing up for Jesus can be painful. It can be lonely, even devastating. Think what those Christians in Iraq and Pakistan and Syria are going through today. Think what they're saying to the world. But we can be encouraged that our hope still rests in the reality that Jesus forgives us and is king of all. And one day he will come back to rule over his divine kingdom. He asks us to carry on what he started, to promote the kingdom amongst his people with the help of the Holy Spirit. Of course, this may well lead to tears as we come into conflict with Satan's plans. But it should also lead us to action, reaching out to those who are trapped and lost in their separation from God by sin. Absalom was a lost man. He was a man who sought what was not his to take. David was a fallen man, but a man who repented, a man of God. And we too can be men and women of God through repentance and forgiveness of our sins. Amen.